There are many non-Muslims who claim they teach some portions of Islam, Islamic law, Islamic theology, Islamic uh, history, or whatever they teach uh, in the Islamic studies department, in the Arabic departments, but it, it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't meet up to the standards of a Muslim's pursuit of knowledge, because they're not Muslim. Right? So no matter how much knowledge they may acquire and they may disseminate through their tongues, okay, since they're not Muslim, they, they, they are deprived of the ni'mah of Iman. So Iman is what makes you a believer or an unbeliever. That is your, your orientation and that's also your indoctrination that without Iman, there is no eligibility to enter Jannah. And since they, 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 don't, they haven't acquired that eligibility, it seems that they are more prone to be in the munafiq uh, than someone who is a concerned uh, professor of knowledge. The munafiq is somebody who knows the truth but yet fails to assert and ascertain and confess to the truth. So these people who teach in colleges, universities, they know Islam from the books, but they don't appreciate the haqq uh, in the sense that they, they don't uh, allow the haqq to seep into their lives and then follow the haqq. If the haqq was there in their hearts, they would have said that they are Muslim. So we should be careful how we highlight uh, Muslim scholarship in the U.S. It's not just through academia or PhD holders that we have access to Islamic knowledge. It is also through people who are mu'minun, believers, and who are pious and who are, uh, mashallah, who are, uh, you know, the, 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 the carriers of light, so to speak. Hmm. The nur of Islam came with our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu and that nur was then transferred into the hearts and minds of the Sahaba and then they transferred that to the hearts and minds of people who followed them. Okay, so we, we must appreciate that there is a nur that accompanies Islamic knowledge, theology, ideology, history, whatever. Without that nur, there's only dhulma, there's darkness, and you don't want to take anything from someone who's in darkness. Allah is the friend of those who believe, and then he takes them out from many forms of darknesses into nur. Those who are the enemies of uh, Allah, the Taghut, uh, what they do, they, they, they take believers out from Nur into darknesses. So the basic premise of academic studies in this country is, first of all, question everything. It's based on skepticism. The first two or three essays that you write in a theology course will be that to prove that God exists or prove that God does not exist. So they attack your Iman first and foremost. And that's what you have to be careful of. That uh, the prevailing culture 
in colleges, universities, is, is all based on doubt, skepticism, <coughs> and kufr, denial and rejection of the truth. Our deen is based on Islam and acceptance. Islam means to surrender to the will of Allah. Where you surrender your akhal to wahi. It's a different paradigm altogether. And that's what you're here for at Taysir. Inshallah, Allah give you strength and Allah keep you, preserve you. But our job is, is that we use the aqal to understand how the world works, but we don't use the aqal to judge God. Huh? You can't judge God through your aqal because your aqal is contextual and it's limited. It's in time and space. It is created. So the creation cannot perceive or conceive Allah, because Allah is beyond creation, and Allah is beyond our perception and conception. That's the meaning of lam yalid, wa lam yulad. So what does that mean? What does lam yalid mean? What's another word for? He's not born. Born or? He's not born. Conceived. From wilada. Wilada means conception, right? Giving birth to. <clears throat> now the word for giving birth is conception. <clears throat> so Allah is not conceived as an idea. Right? Nor does he conceive an idea into the mind of his creation. So he's beyond conception. See, if you understand that word in English, it will make uh, better sense for you. That he's beyond conception. The conception may be physical, it may be intellectual of an idea, of a thought, uh, of a paradigm, of a philosophy. So he is beyond conception. So if Allah is beyond conception, then how do we worship him? And that's the point. You worship him because he is beyond conception. Allahu Akbar min kulli shayt. Allah is greater than everything. Akbar is ismi tawdeel. And sometimes, as you know, in Nahu, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Um, but you see that the mudafilay uh, is sometimes left out for a reason that is that Allah Akbar. Allah is Akbar. Greater min kulli shay than everything. So he's greater than your aql. That is Islam. Uh, Islam means what? That you surrender your aql to Allah's wahi. And that wahi came to a nabi. And the last nabi is Muhammad wasallam. So you surrender your aql to the wahi that Rasulullah wasallam was given, came with and distributed. Once you do that, then you will understand Islam. But you can't understand Islam if you don't submit to Wahi. Right? So Wahi is the standard by which you say you submit. And that is Islam. You submit to Allah's will and you submit to Allah's <coughs> Murad also. You submit to Allah's Irada and the Murad, both the intent and what is intended. So if Allah says that this is haram, for instance, then you can't use your aql uh, necessarily to justify 
Why? That's not your first premise. Your first premise, I submit that it is haram, because Allah said so. Then you may rationalize post-acceptance. Your rationalization of Islam, Islamic law, ideas, theology, philosophy, whatever you like to call it, is post-Islam, not pre-Islam. You accept this Allah's hukum, then you rationalize it. So then you develop an Islamic rationality, not a, a non-Islamic rationality. Well, nowadays what people are doing through colleges, universities, even in mainstream Muslims who are in the masajid and everything, is that they, they want to justify Islam through a rational model which does not require submission. Okay? So that's not how we do things. We do things in a very different way, the Islamic way. Right. So sometimes it may not make any sense, but it's there because the Prophet said so, did so. And so on. The best example I give is that of Umar making tawaf and he, he makes tawaf and he stops at the Hajar Aswad. And he says, it doesn't make sense to me. Why should I honor you? You're a stone. <laughs> You're just a stone. Why am I honoring you? So he tells everybody around him, so everybody around him know, know that this is, he's saying this for their benefit. That, hey look, not everything in Islam needs to conform with my logic understanding of Islam. And the reason I'm going to touch you or kiss you is because I saw my Habib Salasim do it. Not because it makes sense, because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense because the Prophet came to deliver Muslims from worshipping stone in the first place. Right? Then all of a sudden he goes to the Hajjah and he kisses. Where's the rationale there? There's no rationale. It's because the Prophet did it that I'm doing it. And that is the point of Iman, that Iman is based on submission to Allah's irada, His will, and His murad, what is intended through the intention. So now the murad is the hukum. So Allah wants you to do salat, why? Because He wants you to. Why do we do three rakats in Maghrib and uh, four rakats in Isha and two rakats in Fajr? I don't know. Nor do I care why we do two in Fajr and three in Maghrib and four in the other salat. I don't care. I do it because the Prophet did it. Is that Islamic rationale? Maybe in the Malakut, maybe if you go into the world of angels and the Malayala, you'll find some justification, but who has time to go there? Nobody has time. You do it because the Prophet did it. That is your Iman. That is submission to the will of Allah. So this now, this methodology is antithetical to the Western and especially the American model of thinking and uh, accepting. So we accept Islam through Allah's fadl. Only Allah's fadl allows you to submit to Him. If you don't have Allah's fadl, you will not submit because there are millions of people, if not billions of people in the world, who don't submit. And that is how you must see this as Allah's ni'mah. Iman is Allah's ni'mah. And the more you invest in your ni'mah, the more Allah gives. Right? There's barakah when you use the ni'mah and when you increase your attachment with the ni'mah and you take care of it. If you abuse it, then it goes away. As the Quran says, 
ولن شكرتم لزيدنكم if you are grateful for ni'mah I will increase you in the ni'mah so you have to be grateful for the ni'mah of iman in Islam and then Allah will increase you in your iman in Islam and he will be a staunch mashallah believer and that is where I think the the uh, the battleground uh, is today the battleground is is not necessarily in knowing the uh, all the details of Islam and this and that the battleground is maintain your iman in the, the, the you know in the darkness of society today where society simply does not appreciate any higher order than their own nafs everybody follows their nafs it feels good therefore it must be good and if it's good for me then it must be good so there's no you know absolute what you call relativism if it's relative, to, it's relative to me, therefore it's good. Mm, see, if I want to be this, uh, whatever, uh, gay rights person, because it feels good, it must be good. It sounds good, it must be good. So that's not the way we do things. The way we do things is that we submit to Allah and the Rasul, وسلم, and that is, that is your, your, your first point of interaction between your your ruh and your aql. So your ruh submits and then your aql then uh, justifies your submission. The aql is very valuable uh, in the sense that uh, your, your ability to think is guided by your ruh which is now underneath Allah's fadl. Yeah. So you must use your aql post-submission. And the ulama fuqaha they wrote and wrote and wrote and mashallah, millions and billions of books throughout the centuries after submitting. It wasn't that they didn't write books, they wrote books. So much knowledge, mashallah. There's oceans and oceans of knowledge out there, inshallah. But if, if you want to read all of that and understand it, then it must be based on uh, submission. The Muslim scientists of the Middle Ages that everybody, mashallah, applauds for good reason and they want to bask in the glory of Muslim uh, achievements of the past, which is fine. Okay, but they did so based on their Iman. They excelled because they were Muslim. Whereas in the Renaissance, they did what? They killed God, uh, buried religion, and they found science. <laughs> we didn't do that. We don't need to kill God, nor to bury religion in order to understand how the world works. We work perfectly in sync with the natural order because of Allah's hukum. Allah's hukum is there, Allah's hukum is here above. So just as in the Sharia you have Allah's hukum, you have Allah's hukum in the cone, in the cosmos. Everything is in sync with Allah's amr there. Likewise, we should be in sync with Allah's amr here in terms of our taqlif and in terms of our Islam and Aqeedah and Amal. So that's how you seek everything in the world. But it's a struggle. It's not easy being a Muslim nowadays. Right. So I'm not going to give you a, paint you a picture of a you know, rose garden and say, welcome to the rose garden. You have to earn it. <laughs> right. But uh, the way to do that is maintain and strengthen your Iman uh, and believe that Allah is one. And Muhammad is Allah's Rasul. Not he was, he still is Allah's Rasul. Yeah. 
even now as we speak, he is Allah's Rasul. So he is with us in, in that sense, in that spirit that he, he guides us as Allah guides us. And once we accept a higher level of guidance other than the secular and mundane, we're okay. But if we succumb to the mundane, uh, then uh, they're, they're men and we're men. They're human, we're human. So why should we follow the order of human beings when Allah's order is in front of us? The Quran gives us guidance. The Prophet gave us guidance. The Sahaba gave us guidance. So our guidance comes from a higher source which is uh, beyond our intellect. And we want to subscribe to something that is superior, not something that is inferior. The inferior is the nafs the passion, the desires that lead uh, people towards destruction and devastation and so on. But anyway, Alhamdulillah, you're in a good place. Allah keep you, preserve you. Allah keep this institution, preserve this institution. Allah uh, guide us all towards what pleases Him the most. <coughs> most of all, the tarbiyah you're receiving here, mashallah, is based on the premise that you are believers. And when you take this belief into mainstream America, that is where you will be challenged. Hmm. Right, so at the moment you're being baked. Ah, when you go out in the community, your baking will be tested. See how firmly you have been baked. Hmm. So there you must remain staunch. Trust Allah. Allah will help you as long as you remain a Muslim. Inshallah. That help may come immediately, it may come after you die. It may not come in this world, but that's the point, right? For the prophets, when you read the Quran and you read all the stories of the prophets, you'll see that some of them had followers and some of them had very few followers. But that didn't mean that they failed. Because failure is failure to enter Jannah. Failure is not measured by failure and success in this world. That is why the Akhirah, becomes so important to the Muslim construct of thinking that I may receive some reward here and if I don't I have the Akhirah to look forward to and then on the day of judgment when Allah gives you all the ajr for the du'as he did not accept in the world what will you say? we will say if only Allah didn't accept any du'a in the world right? that's how the Prophet trained the Sahaba to think further than this world. Islam is so beautiful. It shows you how to survive death. There's no other concept in the world that teaches you how to survive death. That is how brilliant and intellectual Islam is. Is there any insurance policy that allows you to survive death? No. No one will help you survive death. Who helps you survive death? The Prophets. Allah, the Quran, Sunnah, they show you how to survive death because after death is life. And if you don't believe in life after death, you're not a Muslim. And that's, that's the end of that discussion. Right? So focus on your Iman. Make sure that you are always, inshallah, through Allah's fadl, with Allah's fadl. The dhikr helps throughout the day. That is your base. And upon that dhikr, work as Muslims for our benefit, the benefit of the Muslims and the benefit of the non-Muslims also. So we're not limited to just benefiting ourselves. We, we do want to promote Islam to 
and then Muslims eventually, but that has to be coordinated. It has to be very organized and structured. Allah give us all tawfiq. Make dua for your Sheikh, Sheikh Hassan, and for your sponsor, Sheikh Nadim. MashaAllah. Allah keep them, preserve them. Keep them going, inshallah. Give us tawfiq. Inshallah. Ameen, Ya Allah. Taif. This week we have a class in Suluk. This week we didn't get to do the class in Suluk. I don't know why we didn't get to do the class in Suluk. Dr. Dan was here. Because Dr. Dan was here. Okay, because Dr. Dan was here. But you got your Suluk class. In a better way. Isn't it? Allah Ta'ala preserved it for us. All of us in Masjid in such a beautiful way. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah. You all noticed that when you stick to the Prophet you feel that that which you've been, that which Sheikh Amin fetched for all of us comes from the same place. Don't you feel it? Yes. Right? Yes. Come from the same place. Right? That you've been fetched for a lot of people. You know, it's, it's, it's stronger. It's a lot. But nonetheless, it's from the same place. And that's what, that's, 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 that's the tradition. That's our tradition. You go to you go to uh, South Africa, or you go to Chile, or you go to you find somebody who fetch from the pool of the Prophet and have the same taste. You have the same taste. So we're so uh, honored and so privileged uh, and so thankful to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for this opportunity. Jazakumullah khairan. May Allah Taala elevate you. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. May Allah Taala put success in all your endeavors, Sheikh Sheikh Amin. May Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. Bless you for this. I will not deprive the students and, and, and all of us, inshallah, from the opportunity to have any questions for Sheikh Amin. And so, and I would like to remind as well that we're, alhamdulillah, one of the things that, that we adamantly did from the beginning of this year, and that's from, from Allah Ta'ala's fadlan and his, his that Allah Ta'ala guided us to hire, to, to, to have Mr. Zainab with us to take care of our uh, female students and also to show scholarship, female scholarship to. To, to revive that tradition, so alhamdulillah, we're very honored to have her here as well. Um, so, do you guys have any questions for Sheikh Amin? Sheikh Amin, I know that we're taking so much of your time, but if if you can grant us, inshallah, another 10 minutes for our students to have any questions, it'll be great, inshallah. So, inshallah. go ahead, bismillah. Mm -hmm. so, so, earlier you mentioned how um, like Allah gives us the ability to, um, like, like Allah, like even our iman comes from Allah, right? And so um, in that sense, the ability to love Allah as well would come from him. Like, I suppose it wouldn't come from us, right? So would you, so in trying to learn how to love Allah more, would you suggest that we like ask him to give us that ability and um, if there's anything else that we could do? Yeah, the, the human beings do have the, the uh, will and ability to, to perform, right, and to do good deeds. So you, you should take the initiative and then you show your love for him through your actions, through dua, dhikr, and whatever the sharia wants you to do. And then Allah reciprocates. And so you take one step towards him, he takes two steps towards you, as in hadith Qudsi. If you walk to him, he'll run to you, <laughs> right? So you, ha you have to take the initiative. Uh, if you just sit there and wait for Allah's tawfiq to come, it ain't coming. Uh, you have to take the first step. 
once you take the first step, then, then uh, alhamdulillah, all the fadl comes. But you have to continue, and that's why it's a daily, it's a daily struggle. You don't take a holiday from salat ever, ever. <laughs> every day you have to do salat, every day you have to do dhikr, every day. Just as every day you have to go to the washroom and sleep and, and brush your teeth and do all that. Huh? So it's part of life, basically. If you see it's part of life, then there's no burden, because it's part of life. But yeah, Allah does give through His fadl. But uh, human beings must use their initiative, their volition, that's what it's called, and their, their participation in attracting divine attention. Yeah. Yes? Uh, we are converts, some of us, and uh, I know that uh, Allah says that He, when He created the human being, when He created Adam, He extracted from his back and had all of his servants come out and and uh, take the shahada, saying that He was God. And so when we think of our relatives, and we try to make dawah uh, to for them or to them. And just like, um, I don't understand, like, you don't recognize that la ilaha illallah. He said he, he had everybody who he was going to create before they were on earth to, uh, to take the shahada. So what makes them not do that when, like, your heart should be recognizing that? Yeah, I mean, that's the, it's a very deep and broad question requires huge discussion but uh, what you need to appreciate that that happened in a different world in the world of the spirits the arwah and um, we were born with that when we were ensouled in our mother's womb into the fetus except that when we come into the world and then this world has different rules than that world. In this world, there's going to be cause and effect, and there's going to be some action, participation from the human being. So human beings are now responsible to find or discover or rediscover their fitra. So that is through active participation in this world, because the rules change in every world. When you go to the grave, the rules of the grave, they change. When you go to the Day of Judgment, the rules of the Day of Judgment, they change. When you get into Jannah, the rules of Jannah, they also change. Every world, known as the Adam, has rules. And that is the meaning of Rabbul Alameen, the Lord of all the worlds. So he regulates all the worlds according to the rules of that world. He won't change. Allah won't change his uh, rules in this world. If you are thirsty, what do you need to do? To find, to seek, to find. Yeah. But you say, well, Allah is capable of doing everything. Why can't He give me water? He's not going to change the rules because uh, the rules of this world apply uniformly to every human being. Yeah? And every human being. And that's why Allah says about Isa and Maryam, that they would eat food. He didn't change the rules for Isa and Maryam, right? They didn't become divine. They had to follow the rules of this world because they live here. So when you live here, you must follow the rules of this world. And this world requires that you have 
initiative, you have action, you have uh, inquiries, you have curiosity, and every human being goes through phases in his or her life where they will experience a moment, two moments, five moments where they see Allah is the truth. That happens to every human being, which is mentioned in the Quran. Then they pass by so many signs to show that Allah is one in their lives, in their own experience. Whether it's dreams, whether it's experience, whether it's deja vu, whether it's uh, something that happens in their lives with their, with their family members, their children, their wives, their, 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 their you know, mothers and fathers, or just in their jobs, there are signs that Allah throws upon every human being where the human being uh, for a moment realizes someone else is in control. And if the human being does not um, take the initiative to look into that, then it is the human being's responsibility in this world that Allah said, I gave you an experience. Why didn't you go with that experience and make, you know, one plus one, connect the dots? So human beings are responsible to connect the dots here in this world. That's how we appropriate. That happened in another world uh, before time and space. This happens here in time and space. So you, you have to be able to manage that logically. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, it is whatever Allah wills. <laughs> Whether it's this world or the other world, whatever He wills happens. So, yeah. One more question, last question, yes. Could you comment or give some advice on, you know, there was a moment where, you know, you'd enter the secular world and deal with it on that level, but now, more than ever, you're seeing that the secular world enters our spaces, like, for example, the MSA, Muslim Student Association, or the Masajid, like, meaning the concept of the moment being in charge of their own organization is kind of shifting a little bit, and you're seeing that you're no longer arguing with you know, academics or secularists, you know, in pure form, you're arguing with Muslims or disagreeing on this concept of, you know, what should the Muslims student association, for example, be or the masjid be, in the sense that you see that the infiltration of very strong secularism or progressive values are coming into these institutions. And there's now, because of the way these things are run, you know, democratically, for the most part, are set up that way. You're starting to see that this, you can't go out, you, you know, the spaces themselves are compromised in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's uh, something that we all need to come to terms with. And I think the basic principle is, first of all, the fiqh must be correct. Whatever you decide, you must make sure that it falls within the ambit of acceptable Islamic fiqh. If it comes out of there, then it's not supposed to be practiced, even though some person may have had an opinion. So acceptable uh, Islamic fiqh is the rule by which you will be able to govern, okay, masajid and MSAs and so on. Uh, invariably, unfortunately, more, more often than that, the MSAs don't have fiqh period. Right? I'm not sure they have Islam either. <laughs> but uh, if they were to be Islamic, then they would have to follow a fiqh. Uh, the fiqh means what is Allah's murad in this issue. Okay? So if, if you say that, can 
and men and women do this together, then make sure the fiqh is there <laughs> to support that idea. If the fiqh is not there, then don't do it. That will be the formula, which is more of a pill nowadays. <laughs> yeah, so you have a headache, you have a headache, and you have to take the pill. But if you don't take the pill, your headache will remain with you. Then you have to swallow the pill, uh, even though it tastes very bitter. Right, so unless the fiqh allows you to do something, then don't do it. You cannot invent religion, because that's a bid'ah. Right? This deen is not about invention, it's about uh, following. It's about ittiba', not ibtida'. Ibtida' in deen is bid'ah. Ittiba' is the order that you follow. So the, 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 the rules that the fuqaha came up with, the usul and the, everything else, and if, if you have someone who is an authority in fiqh and that person says, okay, we may allow this and not allow this, then it's fine. So you do need a reference point. That reference point is not just the books, it's a human being who is living. So a human being who is alive must be a reference point, or you can go to a council of fiqh or somewhere. And, but then for that, the, the organizers and the leaders must be willing to submit uh, to the value of fiqh. Nowadays, people, young, younger people in colleges and outside of colleges, they, they don't submit to anything. They have no referee in their lives and they don't want one. <laughs> uh, they don't want a referee. Why? Because I want to be free. I want to follow my nafs. So when you follow the nafs, then you have this chaos, which is what you're talking about. If you want to be regulated and organized, structure and organization requires regulation. Right? So if you have a chip on your phone, if that is not organized in its algorithms and it is very precise, right? if any algorithm goes off, even by a digit, it won't work. Right? So in order for Muslim organizations to work, they have to be regulated. Regulation means you follow a paradigm, a fiqh, and you follow a, a madhab or usul, or you follow something uh, that is consistent throughout the organization. And you can choose to be this madhab, that madhab, or any madhab, it doesn't matter. But at least uh, stick to the principles and remain consistent in that. And don't change every six months because you need to accommodate this issue and this issue. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the default position is that you must fall within the ambit of acceptable fiqh. Mm, yeah. So then you will be following your nafs. You can't assume to follow your nafs and then ask for salvation at the same time. That formula doesn't work. If you love Allah and the Rasul, then you will say, I, I, want, I want najat first. I want to enter Jannah first. So if that is the minimum requirement of taqwa, and people adhere to it, then inshallah, then the organization will be successful. But if people are not adhering to the idea that you want to enter Jannah, then organizations will fail, which they are. And there's no barakah. The reason why there's no barakah in the MSA is because they're not really Muslim. <laughs> and that's just my take on it. But since they're there, they have some influence and power. We accommodate them, we go to them, we speak to them, uh, we try to engage with them and so on. 
obviously you can't discard a Muslim because he's, he or she is doing this. You have to be part of the community. You have to keep everybody together, right? You don't want to divide the ummah. But there is a nasiha. We have to give nasiha where it's needed. But yeah, you're right. The way forward is, is, is uh, you must, the more regulated you are, the better your organization is. And the more liberal you are in your organization, in your structure, uh, the more chaotic you'll be. If you have a salat and the imam in, in Fajr follows the Maliki Madhab, and in Zuhr follows the Hanbali Madhab, and in Asr he follows the Shafi Madhab, and in uh, Maghrib he follows the Hanafi Madhab, and in Isha he follows the Jafri Madhab. How are people going to follow him? You can't be that liberal because Salat means you are organized, you are structured. So you have to be organized and structured, therefore you must be regulated. The more regulated you are, the better the chances of the organization succeeding. And that is how we rerun the affairs of the Ummah, through ilm, not through jahad. It must be based on ilm. Okay. My pleasure, my honor to be here with you, Sheikh Hassan, and all of you. May Allah give us all from his fadl. And we'll see all of you soon, inshallah. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <laughs>